Wondery Plus subscribers can listen to the Al Franken podcast ad-free right now. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app. This podcast is supported by FedEx. FedEx offers fast delivery, more visibility, simple returns, and weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. population on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. With FedEx, you get picture-proof of delivery, ensuring you always know where your package is. Returns are simple with packageless and paperless returns. Plus, FedEx Ground is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. So, what are you waiting for? See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. Hey, everybody. We got a great one today, you know, for a change. Uh, It's also a departure of sorts. Um, Conan O'Brien and I have been friends for, I think, over 30 years now. And um, when I was... In L.A. a little while ago, I, I was a guest on his late-night talk show on uh, TBS. He is now the dean of late-night TV hosts. I think he's been 30 years host of the show, and it's so hard to believe because when he first started, he was everyone went, who the hell is this guy? Anyway, he, he's been a huge influence on comedy, uh, and he has this unbelievably successful podcast and he interviews a lot of comedians and uh john mulaney was on uh, a recent one and talked about what an influence uh, conan was not unlike letterman who is an influence on comedy uh conan has been a tremendous influence on, on comedians and i did the talk show and then immediately after i went and did the podcast the agreement we had was that we'd both post it. So what you're about to hear uh, costs my team nothing. And if I must say, you're going to enjoy this. Now, you'll notice right away when you listen that there is a lot of laughter. And it's not just me and Conan. He has a few people in his studio there, including Sona Mosesian, who is uh, his assistant at the show and has been his assistant at the show since I think since he's come to LA and I've got I've known her for a while because I've done the show and uh, she's great and uh, she and he have great chemistry I Sona's job basically is she gives him a lot of shit and this is the part of the show where before the guest comes on so you're not going to hear that but Hopefully, my doing this will steer a lot of my vast audience uh, to Conan and his wildly successful podcast, and hopefully vice versa. Uh, But really, what Sona, and you will hear this, part of her job is she laughs. And if you listen to my interview with Dana Carvey about how we did political comedy at SNL, and this was uh, not long after George H.W. Bush died, we were talking about how he got the, uh, got the impression. And one day we were sitting around. He, he just did a not-going-to-do-that thing over there, and I laughed really loud. And we talked about that, and Dana said that laughter... 
is the oxygen of, of comedy. Now, you may have noticed that I'm alone. I don't have anybody uh, laughing. And uh, there's one advantage to that, which is that if I say something that I think is funny, no one can prove that it wasn't. Anyway, I think you're really going to enjoy this. Now, we've, we've edited a little bit. We've, we've uh, taken out the parts where Conan talks to Sona and Matt Gorley, who is the uh, producer of the podcast. Let's face it, you, you want to hear me, you know. But what you'll hear, you'll hear Sona laughing. We're all laughing. We had a great time. I know you're... Uh, going to enjoy this one. And if you do and you haven't listened to Conan O'Brien Needs a Friend, you'd be there. I think he has like a million downloads per uh, <sighs> per podcast. Anyway, so, uh, but you gotta uh, got to go check it out. So, but we'll listen to this and I, I, I swear to God, you're going to be, this is a great one for a change. I met you in 1988. 88. Uh, so it that was, would be, my math is correct. Yeah. <laughs> 31 years ago. Yeah. Wow. Jeez. I, yeah, I was a, uh, a punk kid. I remember very clearly uh, my writing partner at the time, Greg Daniels, and I came to New York to write on Saturday Night Live, and I pitched something. And no, 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 no. <laughs> no, 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 no. And you laughed the Al Franken laugh. Oh. And I immediately relaxed. I thought we were going to get bounced out of there any second. And I pitched. We had a sketch. You remember what it was? Yeah, okay. It was about a, it was about a lab professor. It was something I used to do for my friends. It's a lab professor. He'd be like, who had a, a lab skeleton. And he'd say, well, <laughs> here we have, of course, the posterior oh. patella is the thickest of the bones. And then he would look over the skeleton and go, oh, oh God, oh, God, oh, God, it's a skeleton. He, and he got as scared every time. And you were howling. And then you you came up to me and you went, I really like that. And I was wait just like, a minute. well, I'm sorry. That's how you talk. Oh, wait, no, that was Roseanne Barr. <laughs> and that was a T-Rex. Uh, uh, but anyway, you were a generous laugher with me right away, and I remember that uh, feeling great. I remember that feeling great. If people aren't laughing in in the office, or it's harder, right? It's a uh, it's interesting too because everything would be based on you remember this the read throughs that we would do oh. at Saturday Night Live, I, and uh, you did how many? I mean, if you add up all your years at Saturday Night Live, isn't it like a hundred and eleven? It's something crazy. I did fifteen seasons, so we did twenty a year, right? Mm -hmm. That's three hundred. I've noticed so far you're really into numbers. Uh, I was good at math and science, and, and I'm a Sputnik kid. Uh, I was born in 51, and when Sputnik went up, my parents marched me and my brother into the living room and said, you boys are going to study math and science so we can beat the Soviets. <laughs> And I thought that was a lot of pressure to put on a six-year-old. <laughs> Did you? You really thought it was up to you guys? Yeah. In Minnesota, we were both. We were literal. Yeah. A literal and obedient. Yeah. And so, uh, and so, my brother was real, really, really good at it, and went to MIT, mm -hmm. and I was really good at it, and I, you know, went to another school. 
That was very well thought of. Yes, yes, I've heard of that school. Yeah, and um, he became a photographer, and I became a comedian. Yeah. But we beat the Soviets. You know, <laughs> you, you know what's nice? That you took that uh, seriously, and then, uh, yes, this, the wall came down, the Soviets were defeated. Yes. And uh, then uh, Sona married one. Isn't that uh, right, Sona? Uh, yes, but he he wasn't one of the Soviets you were fighting. Well, in a way, yes, he was. He was we a child. <laughs> we, no, no, we were fighting. The, we were fighting them all. He was a child, and he was you know grew up in the Soviet Union. Yeah, as a he, child. He, as then, a child. Then, then he came here. Then is he what you're came saying. here. Yes. Okay. When he was eleven. But Al, what I maintain is that when you fight the Soviets, you fight them all. Not and so, Tack, your husband, even as a small child. We were we were out to defeat Tack. You were saying Tack was the enemy. Yes, okay. he was, and now he's not. He was a child, well, so I I don't I disagree he had, with he that. He had a, a child's name. <laughs> 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 that I know. Yeah. I can't remember his last name. But anyway, uh, yeah. So I I came to Sarnet Live, and I was so scared, uh, and then. Uh, Got to know you and Jim Downey uh, right away. And that's the thing about Saturday Night Live that I was, was impressed with is they throw you right into the deep end. There's no, you'd think that. What is the deep end? The it's deep, like you got to write a sketch. Is that the deep end? <laughs> yes. No, but what I'm saying is. You've got to do your job, the deep end. Okay. <laughs> yeah, write, write a sketch. Write, but write a sketch. Funny. Go in and pitch to Steve Martin. Go in and pitch to Martin Short. Go in and pitch to, you've just come in off the street. I know, but it's that's a that's like cool and a privilege. You're, you're getting. Yes, a, I think being thrown in the deep end is, is a good. good thing. Ah. Oh. oh, God, this isn't going well. <laughs> I thought it was a pejorative. Okay. <laughs> this, is, this is just uh, not going the way I wanted it to go. Well, I, I had a couple of ideas. Uh-huh. Thinking back to the show, uh, one is just- uh, This is my show. Or, or Saturday Night Live. Which show? Oh, Which Saturday show? Night Live. Saturday oh, see, Night when Life. you when you say to me the, the show, show, and I'm sorry, am I wrong, Gourley? If someone says to me like, "Hey, yeah, the show," I go, "Of course, Conan on TBS." Right. I think Conan podcast. <laughs> oh, that's interesting, Sona. What do you think when you hear the show? I, you know what? You I think, know how you think. You think Gigolos, don't okay. you? Okay. <laughs> Gigolos <laughs> is no longer on the air. So well, that's I don't. Yeah, it it's is a show tragic. about actual male gigolos. Uh, it, 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 is it a uh, like a dramatic? Show? I mean, no. is it acted out or is it's a reality show? It's, it's a reality, reality it's, show. It's, that's what it's called. It's softcore pornography. <laughs> I'm really? not even kidding. Yeah, it's it's got a plot and it's got certain gigolos it follows, but it is it's softcore pornography. I'm sorry. Wow. Um, <laughs> how do you anyway back? How to, does a show like that get canceled? <laughs> <laughs> Who said we're not getting any interest in the softcore pornography? I feel like how does the, that happen? I feel like the gigolos were pulling yeah. out. No, Bill Nye, science guy, came up against us and just cleaned our clock. <laughs> how does that happen? I have no idea. I don't know. Uh, but uh, but Al, you were going to talk about Saturday Night Live. What are your, what are the ideas you wanted to talk about? Your favorite sketch that didn't make it. Oh, that's interesting. Isn't that like thought so? I don't know if it's my favorite. It's the one that come, one of the ones that comes to mind, or the that, one that was most annoying to you that it didn't get on. Yeah, there was one. I'll tell this. There's the the disparity between how it did it read through mm-hmm. versus what happened to the sketch. So 
<laughs> I had an idea. Do you remember Phil Hartman had a character named Mace? Yes, of and, course. And Mace was this, um, I, I, I don't know that I can yeah. access the voice, but this incredibly tough, right. toughest guy in the world. Like, I'm Mace. You'll mess with Mace. You're going to mess with Mace. And, I'm gonna, and, and, and he, and, you know, Phil Hartman, one of the great yeah. SNL players of all time, yes. could do anything. Uh, the glue. Good, yeah. And he did this character that just was very funny, where he was Mace, toughest guy in the world. And so uh, I had this idea that, Mace is in his cell, and the scene starts with, you know, a guard coming by, and he's like, that's right, screw, keep walking around, you know, and it's, it's all how incredibly tough he is, right? right. And he's really tough, and then uh, whoever the guest was that week, and I don't remember who it was, but let's just say it was Matthew Modine, they bring in, <laughs> what? he's my go-to, uh, he's my go-to, uh, let's, I always say, if I say like, look, uh, if I'm ever murdered by, uh, let's just say Matthew Modine, <laughs> So, so I, uh, then they, they put this prisoner in with him and it's that classic thing where he's like, you're not going to screw with me. I'm the king of this cell block. See, I'm mace. And the guy's like, whatever. I don't want any, I don't want any trouble. You bet you don't want any trouble. I'm going to rip you a new lungs and I'm going to feed them to you. And I'm going to shove them up your ass. And like, Sun don't shine, buddy boy. And he does this whole thing. And the guy's like, <laughs> then the guy lays down in his bunk and Mace looks over and there's the typical, uh, there's, there's a bunk bed. It's a, it's a jail cell for two and there's one exposed toilet in the middle of the room. Uh-huh. And Mace, Mace yeah. is looking over and it just becomes clear that Mace is shy about pooping. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so Mace is doing a lot of like, so maybe you, uh, he's looking at the toilet and he's starting to head that way and the guy, Matthew Modine, is like, hey, if you gotta go, you gotta go. No, 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 I don't have to, I don't have to go. And then, and then he's saying things like, why don't you, why don't you go to sleep? You look tired. You should probably go to sleep, get a good night's sleep. That's the first thing you got to do when you get in prison. The guy's like, okay, yeah, I am a little tired. He starts to go to sleep. And the minute he thinks he's nodded off, Phil Hartman goes over. And then this was something Greg Daniels added that was really funny, which is he starts peeling off little pieces of toilet paper and putting them on. He's very fastidious. And then, and then Matthew Modine would wake up and he'd be like, <laughs> and so this thing was read it, read through, and killed. Killed, And you know when a piece kills it, read through, and people were like pounding the desks, the piano in the corners rattling, the acoustical tiles falling. I mean, like just, it was killing. And I, afterwards, people were coming up like, patting me on the back and got applause. <laughs> Lauren made eye contact with me briefly <laughs> and then celebrated with a tic-tac. Uh, um, and I was like, wow. And then the all week long, people were like, oh, I can't wait for that. I can't wait for that. And then uh, dress rehearsal. And they start to do it. Not a laugh. <laughs> oh. I don't know what happened to yep. this day. Not a laugh. And it happens sometimes. But you know the way there's a thing, Al, where in a sketch, there's a trigger. Uh-huh. It's and it's the it's the trigger that's supposed to set everything else. The wonderful, all the laughs that are to come yeah. need to be with that trigger. And when you hit that line, and the trigger pulls and nothing happens, <laughs> you know that you've got nine more pages, right? And none of that's going to catch, right? None of it. And so I watched it just completely go down the drain. How about you? What's the? <laughs> do you have a sketch that you absolutely I have a, loved? Another. I have several. One and fart doctor. 
That's so stupid. <laughs> Say no more. Fart doctor <laughs> has an interesting uh, history and life to it because. <laughs> There was, the, okay, this is what happens. So Al Gore. <laughs> what? What? Uh, I, I, have, I just want to tell our listeners that I have a pen and a pad of paper, and I'm trying to draw. I'm just trying to figure out how one thing goes to another. Like, how does Al Gore and Fart Doctor, and it doesn't work. I'm okay. telling you right now, it doesn't work. So Al Gore uh, is going to host, and I believe it's 2002. And he asked that I be a guest writer because we're friends. So I come and I think about it. Uh, I have some uh, some lead time, and so I I write this sketch that Al Gore is not right for. <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. Okay, here is the premise. Okay, you have three of our cast members. I remember Amy Poehler being one of them, and, I, and they're waiting in a room. And I think Amy was the one who was very impatient and skeptical that this famous diagnostician Mm -hmm. who can diagnose diseases when no one else can Mm -hmm. was coming from Duke. Mm -hmm. And he's a little late. And she's kind of both skeptical and impatient. And there's one, one of the other doctors going like, no, I'm telling you, he's amazing. Mm -hmm. Okay. (laughs) So... The fart, the guy, whoever the host would be to play fart doctor, <laughs> he comes in and he's read all the files, right, mm-hmm. of all the different people, and um, so they bring the first patient in, and they cannot; these other doctors cannot figure out what is wrong with this uh, guy, and so uh, this doctor from Duke's uh, says to the. Uh, to the patient, he says, okay, I'm going to need you to fart. <laughs> oh, my God. And the guy says, what? I'm going to need you, you know, to fart. <laughs> and so the guy tries and does finally squeeze one off. And the doctor says, uh, your mother was Salesian? <laughs> oh, my God. Yes, yes. Did you have tabbouleh salad (laughs) for lunch today? Yes, I did. You have (laughs) a very specific specific disease, and all the other doctors are going like, oh, of course. (laughs) Why didn't we figure that? Oh, my God. Uh, That's brilliant. And the good news is is that we know how to treat this, and you're going to be fine. mm -hmm. And the guy is going, oh, thank you, thank you. Next patient comes in. I'm going to need you to fart. Skeptical, but farts. And he's going like... Skeptical, but farts. Uh, <laughs> I'm glad that made it up. But just, if you're listening to this right now, and you obviously are, skeptical, but farts needs to be yeah. <laughs> Skeptical, but farts. Never been said before. Oh, oh, oh I, forgot the, I forgot one beat. I forgot one beat is that after that first patient leaves, he takes out a little fan. Uh huh. <laughs> <laughs> sure. You just, electric, you know, the, one yeah. of those little fans. Yeah. yeah. And clears the air. Yeah. Okay. So the second one comes in and he goes, like, hmm, very interesting. And, like, could you fart again? And he takes out a beaker 
and collects this one because he wants to bring it back to dude. <laughs> then another guy comes in and he's just an asshole about it. Yeah. He's just a fucking asshole about being, you know. Asked to do this. Uh, has to fart and he just, <laughs> is just a dick about it. And finally he does it. And, and it's like, um, you know what? I'm going to talk to you later. And then he leaves and. Uh, he says he's he's a dead man, <laughs> <laughs> and, and all of them are kind of like okay with that. They yeah, just yeah. never like this. Never like this. <laughs> yeah. So then the last person comes in. This is the final patient comes in, and you have to fart. And the person really very valiant effort, mm-hmm. and can't do it. It's just can't do it. Can't do it. And then you hear a fart, <laughs> and he looks puzzled. Mm-hmm. And uh, he goes like, wait a minute, that can't be your fart. You're half Austrian. And, you know, yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, that yeah. just can't be yours. Well, and then Amy Poehler, the one who is so skeptical, says, that was me. Right. And he goes, we got to get you into surgery stat. <laughs> <laughs> okay, now that's a good sketch. Yes. Okay. So now this now, is- Now, wait, you pitched this to, you wanted- Al Gore no. to be kn- fart doctor? No. I knew that Al Gore was not right for fart doctor, okay? So here, here's what happens. I am not working at the show at this point. Uh-huh. I'm doing other stuff. I just came in for Al Gore. But I'm going like, I've got a fucking gem here, fart doctor. And, um, and uh, so while I'm not there... I'm going to submit it for read through, uh-huh. which is not a good thing to do. It, I mean, if you're not there, and because, if you're not there, and you submit it for read through, sometimes the writers that are there can feel right that uh, they resent it, maybe a little yeah, bit, yeah, and uh, yeah. they want their thing in. Yep. And so, but I'm thinking like, okay, um, Christopher Walken is a host, so I go like, okay, all right, all right, Christopher Walken, I'll put it through read through with Christopher Walken, yeah, and then. Uh, <laughs> So it goes in, and it doesn't get picked. And then another month later, I submit it again, and it doesn't get So in. now you know the writers every time Lauren says, all right, next sketch, uh, fart doctor. And you're not, they're not there, and they know that this is the seventh week in a row that it's being read, and the pages are crumbling in yellow from, from age. Yes. They're, they're, they're irritated with you. Okay, right. And uh, Tina Fey uh, was head writer, I think, at mm-hmm. the time. <laughs> and uh, she, um, so I stopped doing it. I, it. It never gets done. It just doesn't get done. So on 30 Rock, they refer to Fart Doctor very often. <laughs> 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 and, you know, what's going on on the floor? They're rehearsing Fart Doctor. Oh, that'd be- <laughs> You know, and, and that's uh, her homage to you. Yeah, I mean, it made <laughs> it made perfect sense to say. And then when she meets Matt Damon, mm-hmm. and at first I think she in in this show she pretends to be something else, and finally she admits that she's the producer and writer for this for this variety, uh, comedy variety show, and she says, "I." Right, fart doctor. He goes, I love fart doctor. 
And so it found a, it's, in a way it found a life, you know? Yeah. And then here's the thing. She never gave to any of my campaigns. <laughs> <laughs> well, in a way she gave the greatest gift of all. What? She made Fart Immortality. Doctor immortal. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's playing all around the world constantly. Uh, it, it is. Yeah. <laughs> Can we, well, we're going to take a quick break. Let's just take a quick break. Oh, sure. We've got some business to do. Just hang on, sitting here with Al Franken. Okay, before we, we cut to our break, I, I, I just want to address something. Uh, because in our last podcast, I did a, a, a commercial parody for a magazine called Cigarette Aficionado. And I thought it was evident that it was uh, satirical. And the whole point of it was to make fun of the idea that smoking tobacco is somehow glamorous and sexy. And I thought it was pretty evident that cigarette aficionado doesn't really exist. Uh, Some of the features were uh, Ralph Nader uh, at his $80 million Hamptons estate dressed in Versace and um, showing off his uh, collection of uh, vintage uh, dangerous cars. And uh, also uh, his favorite thing is his collection of uh, old uh, cigarette lighters. And we had a feature on smoked foods and stuff like that. I got some emails to my office um, people who were outraged that I was uh, taking tobacco money uh, on the show. This was not. I, this was not real. Is what I'm trying to say here. And I want you all to know that I would. I would not take money from the tobacco industry, and uh, would not have an advertisement. If there were a real magazine called Cigarette Aficionado, I would not actually have them buy time on the show. You understand? Okay, let's uh, let's go to a real break now. The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way, and that's with Babbel. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts to help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's convenient courses have helped me learn real-life conversation in German. For example, let's say you wanted to order soup with your dinner. Die Suppe würde mir auch gefallen. That means the soup <laughs> that means that means I would also like the soup. And that way I get soup with dinner. Here's a special limited time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners at Babbel.com slash Franken. Get up to 60% off at Babbel.com slash Franken, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash Franken. Rules and restrictions may apply. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. 
Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com And we're back. Pretty cool, huh? <laughs> uh, so, okay, another one uh, that didn't This is get- another sketch. We're talking about sketches that uh, that we love that didn't make it on Saturday Night Live. Right. And uh, which which one is this? This, weirdly, is another doctor. <laughs> <laughs> and it's called That's My Oncologist. And it's a sitcom. Oh it's like a 50s sitcom. And it's uh, the song starts, and there's a you know the montage sure. of a sitcom. When it comes to cancer, he's got the answers. He's the best in the biz. But when it's honey, I'm home. He's thick in the dome. That's my oncologist. <laughs> bom, bom, bom. <laughs> and uh, so I I submitted it once with a sketch kind of in it as right. the show. Right. And then I did a next week on, you know, and, and so the next week worked. Right. And the next week was, it's take your daughter to work week mm-hmm. or day. Yeah. And it's just, he's pointing to these x-rays, I guess, or whatever those right. are. And right. he's going, okay, he's a goner. <laughs> oh, no. Okay, this one is, it's in his liver. <laughs> <laughs> How old's the daughter? The daughter's like eight, you know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, oh, this is your teacher. <laughs> and that, and that killed. Yeah, yeah. And, and so I just said, okay, just take the sketch that isn't great right. out and just do that. And it didn't happen. Here's one of the things, this just reminds me of something I wanted to ask you about, which is <laughs> when I was watching Saturday Night Live along with everybody else, 75 to 80, mm-hmm. you and uh, Tom Davis, I remember watching late one night and you did this sketch. You can remember this better than I can, but there was some sketch where you're doing something throughout this period of time and you're getting progressive. Is it you that's getting progressively sicker? Is it a, a is this, tumor? Is this the brain tumor? Yes, the comedian? brain, the brain tumor comedian, and it's your comedy. Yeah, just tell me because I remember watching that at home and howling at, but it was so dark, <laughs> and I remember yeah, at the time did. thinking nothing this dark has been on television before. I mean, yeah, this is, you know, yeah. Um, this was uh, so we had been doing the Franken and Davis show as a show within the show, and we were on when the show was short. Mm-hmm. So we <laughs> right. when a lot didn't work, and they and Lauren put us on in the last half hour. So, um, but we had been on a number of times. People knew 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 the Frank and Davis show, and you had like a cool uh, animated, animated, yeah, animated of your of your faces. It looked like it's the Franken and Davis show. Anyway, so we come out, and uh, and I have this. Um, Bandage, this huge head right. bandage right. with a big lump uh, on the, you know, the bandage yeah. is, uh, you know, ad, uh, adhesive tape around uh-huh. gauze and uh, my head's wrapped in it. And Tom says, um, Al has a brain tumor. Right. And he's always, you know, we're a team, but he's always wanted to do a monologue right. and then work alone, you know, just. Try that, right. and I think that uh, 
Uh, I, I'm really encouraging that because that's his dream. Mm-hmm. And he's going to do that. And um, he's a little, uh, he's not, not doing well. And uh, so just laugh. <laughs> <laughs> It was so eerie. And uh, so I, I go out there and tell the person, you know, the ra- have you heard the one about the rabbi who doesn't charge for giving circumcisions? He only takes tips. Uh-huh. Okay. <laughs> and then Tom's going like, Tom's behind. Yeah. Please. Tom's laughing. Isn't that funny? And then from then on, I just, the punchline is always, he only took tips. <laughs> and Tom is trying to encourage people yeah, yeah. to laugh. Yeah. And then, <laughs> and I start, at one point, I start to clearly just lose it, and I'm almost about to pass out. And he has a sponge and some water and just starts yes. sponging with my face. <laughs> I have a memory, which I, I love to tell people, that stars you. Mm-hmm. And I think is this Harrison. Yes, word gets out. <laughs> word gets out that uh, George Harrison's in the building and he's down in Lauren's office. And I'm. I don't think you can be a bigger Beatle fan than than myself. I just I I know everything about them. I know the instruments. I know the like. You know, the chord changes, the whole thing. You know, the names it, of the songs. It's, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I know I know some of the names of the members. Um, get hazy on the bass player. But uh, we're there and we're thinking, are we going to see him? Are we going to see him? And then finally George comes down the hallway and we're all in the writer's room. And he comes in and I remembered he had been out partying with Lorne. And he was a little tipsy. And Lorne had gone out to dinner. Yes, yes. So, and traditionally on a Tuesday night. Now, this is Tuesday night. The show gets written on Tuesday night. And we stay up all night. We stay up all night, but it really, you know, starting, I don't know, 10 p.m. or something, things are actually starting to be written. (laughs) And (laughs) and so, first of all, George Harrison shows up Mm -hmm. at around 8, and Mm -hmm. they go to dinner. Yes, and they don't come back until like 10, 10.30. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Harrison's really drunk. Yeah. He's he's tied one on. And I, this is what I remember very clearly. He yeah. walks in. We all stand up. Mm-hmm. He comes into that, those wide, it's double doors into the- The writer's room. Writer's room. Writer's and he's sta- area. Writer's area. And he's standing there and he's sort of weaving from side to side as one does when one's had a, a lot to drink. And he said, I'm sorry- I'm pissed as a newt. I'll never forget that. He went, he went, sorry, I'm pissed as a newt. And then he said, what are you all staring at? And we were all staring at him. Mm-hmm. And then he looks over in the corner and he sees a piano. And he goes over and he sits down at the piano and he starts to play the piano. Mm-hmm. So a beetle is in a relatively small room with us. Playing the piano. Making music. Making music. A beetle (laughs) is making music. And all of us are transfixed. And I think he plays for about 20 seconds. No. Less. Maybe. More. More. Okay, more. All right, whatever. I'm being controlled. Uh, (laughs) He plays more, but he plays for a while. And then you, you come out of your office and you said, quiet! (laughs) 
<laughs> okay. And then and then he gets startled and he gets up and scuttles away like a hobbit that saw an ogre. He's like gets up and scuttles away and and you go back in your office. Did that or did that not happen? A version of that. This is what happened, actually. First of all, he played for a lot longer than you remember. He played for a long time. Yeah, not many people, when a Beatle is playing, go, hey, let's pick it up. Let's no, pick no, no, it up. No, 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 no. Well, the point is, we have a writing staff. We have a show that gets written now, and, you know, it's like 11, and he's playing, and a lo- he's playing a Quite Who a while. the fuck cares? <laughs> okay. What, what is it? So that, you know, a special today, this week, Rue McClanahan is on the show. Who cares? The show could have sucked that week. Who cares? We could have sat there for six hours and listened to George Harrison play and then just turned in. It could have been a whole show of one fart doctor after another <laughs> with Rue McClanahan. I didn't, I didn't think of that, but this is. <laughs> This is prior to the uh, existence of Fart Dark. I see. Okay. Okay. So I had a role that year, which was, I think I was the some producer. Yes. I was like, yes. I was responsible. You were being responsible. Yeah. And it, no one is going to, to leave that room and work as long as George Harrison is playing <laughs> The piano. You have no one on your side in this room. I know. And I'll tell you something else. I'll, I mean, uh, I think also that you had been working on the show since 75, and George Harrison had been around the show a lot. So you had spent a lot of time with George Harrison, whereas this was my I only- hadn't spent a lot of time with George Harrison. I'd I met him you, a couple I times. thought you guys used to go antiquing. <laughs> <laughs> no, we used to go to listen to light jazz in a gazebo. <laughs> <laughs> what? But, but here's the thing. I didn't say quiet. This is. I went to Phil Hardman, and I said, and my office was very near the yes, piano. Yes, your your office was the closest Ten office, feet to the, closest office to the conference room and the piano. Yes, yeah. I'll, I'll verify that. Yeah. So I I say to Phil, watch this, and I go into my office. So I don't see Harrison's reaction, but I'm told later what it was. I slam the door it, yeah. as hard as I can, and I knew that it sounded like an explosion. Yes. And he he jumped. jumped. Yes, uh, and I've been told it is two or three feet <laughs> above the piano bench and then back to the piano he bench. He jumped up, back to the piano bench. He's been drinking, so he's startled, afraid, and he gets up <laughs> and runs away, and I don't think ever returned to America. <laughs> I haven't looked into it, but I don't think he and ever returned to America. I do get shit from few people who were there. But I, I bear you no ill will. Okay. But can I ask a question? Because you've told this story before. You say, sort of made it seem like it was a joke, but were you really telling him to be quiet? Now I'm confused. I think he was doing a bit of a joke. I think okay. you were doing a bit. I but I wanted, think you were also impatient. I, I wanted us to, to have a successful TV show. <laughs> <laughs> At any cost. That was kind of my goal. Right. Okay. And he'd been there a while playing. I mean, he had been, <laughs> and also, he was very drunk. And it wasn't, I'm not a music critic, but (laughs) I don't think, I don't think it was. (laughs) 
Uh, yeah. I just don't think it was his best work. <laughs> yeah. It was... Uh, <laughs> Wheels on the bus go round and round, and round. Wheels on the bus go round and round. All right, George. <laughs> we could put a harmony in here with wheels on the bus. Yeah. And, yeah, the Beatles gone. And guess what happens? People get, they get to work. Right. And we write a good show. I don't remember if it was a good show. I don't either. <laughs> it may have been a slightly passable show, but uh, no, I, uh, I, you are, I will say, absolutely fearless. You, I remember you not being intimidated by massive stars and just going right in. And I mean, were you always that way? Were you like that in 1975? Was you were you ever a scared pup or? Do you have any memory of that first show? Like how yes. scary it was? We're doing a live show. Uh, will this even work? What if, will this? It was very unlike what the show became because we had, I think, three musical acts or something. And you had Muppets too, I think. Well, we had Muppets. We had a music act. The hit was Chevy and an update. Yeah. And the show didn't become the show until, you know, it started getting more like, what it was in the Lily Tomlin, I think, was the first show that seemed like one of the shows. But, you know, it was George Carlin, I think, did two monologues or something. It was like it was like Midnight Express. Yeah. But with more people comedy I, focus. I always try to point this out to younger people that are interested in comedy is that nothing is what you think it was at the beginning. And a good example of that is watch A Simpsons from the first season. Uh, first of all, Dan Castellaneta, who does Homer, his take on Homer was that he sounds like he should sound like Walter Matthau. And so it's a lot. If you watch the early ones, it's boy. Now, c come here, boy. Uh, you, I'll get you. Doe. Well, Marge, we better. I mean, it's not. And the and the pacing is completely different. It's 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 radically different. And I always tell everybody that nothing, you know, People tend to think that everything just springs out perfectly, no. and that never happens. I mean, uh, I think a good show is a living thing. Uh, I know that, you know, Lauren has told me that, you know, people used to say to him, starting with the second season, well, it's not as good as the first season. And he would think, no, no, no. <laughs> Saturday first, Night Dead. Yeah. Was like They started doing the Saturday Night Dead joke probably right away. Second season. Yeah. I guess it's that. Was it, it was like Arthur Miller or something said that, you know, he wrote Death of a Salesman and everyone was like, oh, my God, this is the best thing ever. And then later on, he'd write his other plays and people would say, it's not, it's not Death of a Salesman. <laughs> and then he'd write more and they'd go like, you know, it's just not Death of a Salesman. And then finally late in his life, people, he'd write something and people would say, you know, we've been thinking about it. Death of a Salesman isn't that good. <laughs> <laughs> like, okay. Actually, it was really good. It's really good. Yeah. No, no, I know. But just if you stick around long enough, they'll pick everything apart. Um, I do my podcast my sh alone. I'm like in, there's nobody in the studio with me except a climate scientist is on. And we're talking about obviously global warming and what we need to do. And he gets into the uh, underdeveloped world, the poor countries of the world, the third world countries. And when their economies 
expand, that they're going to have to kind of skip a generation of energy. They're going to have to skip coal and go into, uh, you know, carbon neutral uh, fuel and that kind of thing. And I said, well, how could we just get these countries not to develop? And he didn't laugh. He thought... <laughs> um, okay, for example, uh, so we had former uh, Energy Secretary Ernie Moniz. I'm laughing already. <laughs> and he's on, and he's a great guy. And he, he actually negotiated all the technical aspects of the uh, Iran nuclear deal. He's a brilliant, brilliant guy. He was the head of the physics department at MIT. And we're, we're talking also about climate. And uh, we have this discussion about whether natural gas is a transition or not. There's controversy about that. And he says it is. He says it is. And he says, I, for example, I work with Southern Company, which is this big utility in the South. So I say to him, you're working for the man. And he goes, well, or or the woman. <laughs> he doesn't know the phrase. Maybe he didn't know the phrase. That's exactly what happened. He's not like, he just didn't know the phrase working for the man. Yeah. And he, I, I think he's like five years older than me or something like that. And people five years older than me know the phrase working for the man. Yes. But. I think he was studying physics. <laughs> He's trying to fix the world. He's right. busy trying to save our planet from uh, from a global disaster. Yeah, so he didn't. And you're angry that he's not up on his. <laughs> I'm not angry. I know, I know. I'm not angry. I'm just, I'm going like, I, I, I really respect him. I think he's he's a great he was a great public servant, and he's a great mind, and he's yeah. a tremendous asset to this country and the world. But I just kept making fun of him. <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey, can oh. I get you to do I know you're over, but we can. Yeah, we well, you know you do, do this of course, yeah. stuff. You know how to cut. No, I don't, but this guy does. I okay. Don't know. <laughs> so, um, so. You'll, you'll chop this up any way you, you want. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and okay. So, so, um, we, we did, we had a rewrite table. Yes. Right. On Thursdays, we yes. re rewrite. And, uh, the, uh, Bush to caucus debate. All right. Yeah. And, you know, for those who don't remember, Dukakis was probably about, what, five, six or something? Yeah. And Bush was like, I don't know, H.W. Bush was like six one, six yep. two. Yep. A lot in the news that Dukakis was, could he stand on something? Right. And And A the box. camps were going back and forth, like, well, it can be one apple box, but it can't be two. It, you know, maybe it can be one step, but not a step and a half. And they were negotiating. That was in the news. So we're looking for... A joke, you know, some way to do this. And uh, we get it from Conan only because he does sound effects. <laughs> right. Or this sound effect, which is a hydraulic lift. Yeah. So if you look at the, the, the piece. It was uh, John Lovitz's Dukakis. John, hilarious Dukakis. And he kind of gets behind the podium Mm -hmm. And he gets, and you see him like get ready, <laughs> and then, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> for it. I remember pitching this in the room. Yeah, yeah. and then the uh, then it goes up 
uh, it kind of, mm, I can't yeah. do it. You, I'm going to have you do it. And then it goes too high. Right. But it goes like a. <laughs> he has like a lever. And uh, yeah. No, he doesn't have a oh, lever. A, maybe so he somebody's, Someone else is doing it. Someone maybe. else is doing it. But he is, <laughs> he played it so beautifully because he is trying not to, the caucus is trying not to react. But he goes up he's too He's being high. humiliated and he's trying. <laughs> <laughs> so what I did in the room was just like, well, what if he gets behind the podium and then you just hear. <laughs> <laughs> and grinding of gears and. Ching, ching, ching. Like an elevator or something. Well, it kind of goes up and it goes. Goosh, yes, goosh. <laughs> and then and, uh, and Al was la- doing that laugh yeah. and that, uh, I was happy that day that was a day where because I used to go back to my apartment which was in Williamsburg Brooklyn and this is really? 1988 and this is back when you I, I again things are not what they were you Williamsburg, Brooklyn in 1988 was a scary place to live. Height of the crack epidemic. It's not the Williamsburg of today where there's just- uh, And why did you live there? I know it was less expensive yes, than living I, in a safe I, place. I didn't know anything. And also <laughs> I, I had not lived really in New York before. And I was coming from Los Angeles where I had started my career and I didn't know. And so I had a friend, this woman, Lynette Cortez, who over the phone- I said, I just need to find a place to live in New York. I just got to, hired at uh, Sun Out Live. And she said, come uh, live. Uh, I have an extra, I, I live in a, a townhouse and there's, there's a room here that you could have. And I live in Williamsburg. And I was thinking colonial Williamsburg. <laughs> I really was thinking like gas jets and, and, and cobblestone streets and, and churn, people churning butter. And I said, that sounds fantastic. And then uh, I got my brother Neil to drive me and we showed up in early February of 88, pitch black, freezing. And we get off the Williamsburg Bridge and start heading south. And then we get off and it's just looked like a, like one of those post-apocalyptic movies of burned out cars and <laughs> all the streetlights were, sh- were dark. And someone said later on, they told me, yeah, the, the, the crack dealers shoot out oh, the streetlights. Oh. Ah, so everything was smart, dark. Smart. And, and, every, and, we're, and I keep thinking, <laughs> what is this? We got off on the wrong thing. And my brother Neil is saying, no, no, this is, this is Berry Street. This is, and, and then finally the car starts to slow down. And he goes like, yeah, it's 242, 240. And I'm like, no, 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 no. This can't be it. This can't be it. And then he comes to a stop. And it was a scary, scary place to live. And I remembered coming to work one day and I used to take the L. I used to walk eight blocks, I think, north to get to uh-huh. the end the L. I went and got fry boots with giant heels and I would wear a trench coat because I thought that it would make me look tougher. And I would have a cigarette coming out of my mouth because I thought this would make me look tough. But I just, I looked, uh, I looked like six. not a tough looking. I'm not a tough looking guy. And, and it's like two kids in a rain Yes, coat. exactly. It looked like, yeah, it looked like a, a 1930s movie where three kids try and get into a movie as an yeah. adult, you know. <laughs> Quiet, you, you're on my shoulder. Shut up. Uh, we'd like to see the movie. <laughs> It was terrifying. And then I came to work and I remember you were just listening to chatter, us chattering, and you're doing something. And then you just heard me say, yeah, no, I just came in from Williamsburg. And you went, what? (laughs) (laughs) You went, you live in Williamsburg? And I went, yeah. And he said, you got to get out of there. You're going to fucking die. (laughs) 
Yeah. yeah. I did. And how I did. long did uh, it take I was you not to... there long. I, right after you told me that, I got out and I uh, moved to 18th Street. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So thank you. You saved my life. Okay. Well, there you have it. Yep. There you have it. You know what? <laughs> uh, this, is, uh, this has been a joy. It's very nice having you here yep. and uh, laughing our asses off. And uh, let's do this again. This is really fun. Yeah. Um, what do you mean? But what was that? That wasn't. I'm trying to. No, I was going like. I wonder when we could do it and how you do that. Do you do that? You well. Uh, you had Dana. Yeah. Another, a couple. It could times, happen right? again. You know. You never know. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Good. Yeah. Well, what a terrible ending. <laughs> an awful ending to an interview. <laughs> just to sort of. It just, I thought. I think it's like a little, like a wind down. It's a wind down. Yeah. What do you think? Yeah. To be nice. continued. Isn't that, isn't that to be uh, continued? Yeah. yeah. Not the way you want to. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Voice is getting really. <laughs> oh. Oh. Good night, everybody. Good night. <laughs> <laughs> Al Franken, thank you. Well, I, I hope you enjoyed uh, listening. That beautiful music is by Leo Kotke, the great Leo Kotke. I want to thank Peter Ogburn for producing. We'll talk again next week. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to the Al Franken podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Or you can listen ad-free with Wondery Plus in Apple Podcasts. Before you go, tell us about yourself by completing a short survey at wondery.com survey. This episode is brought to you by the effortlessly scrumptious bite of Skinny Pop Popcorn. Imagine this, perfectly popped, endlessly delicious kernels, a symphony of just three simple ingredients, popcorn, sunflower oil, and a sprinkle of salt. No compromise, just pure snacking freedom. And hey, if you're up for a twist, dive into flavors like zesty white cheddar to sweet and salty kettle. Every bite's a delight, light and oh so tasty. Shop Skinny Pop now. The early 2000s was a wild time for reality TV. There seemed to be an endless supply of shows that delivered entertainment for us, but trauma for children. I'm Misha Brown, the host of Wondery's podcast, The Big Flop. Each week on The Big Flop, comedians join me to chronicle the biggest pop culture fails of all time and try to answer the age-old question, who thought this was a good idea? We recently looked behind the scenes of what was really going on at Abby Lee Miller's dance studio. Abby's biggest misstep wasn't screaming nonsensical catchphrases or throwing chairs on television, but instead, she was choreographing financial fraud in plain sight. Join me to break down all the wild details of Abby Lee Miller's story. Follow The Big Flop on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to The Big Flop early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus.